I wanted to tell you a story this morning about calling using a figure some of us may not be as familiar with. As Unitarian Universalists, we often talk about a lot of religious leaders throughout time and history, and it's not unusual to find sermons featuring Jesus or Moses, Muhammad, Buddha, and Krishna. We do so because as a faith, we find inspiration in the words and deeds of world religions and their leaders, not limiting our sacred text or traditional canning. But this morning I want to remedy a deficiency in talking about another great world religious leader, one which I don't feel like has gotten as much attention as he should in our circles. And that's Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i Faith. Now we're currently in the midst of Ridvan, a 12-day festival that started on April 20th and will end on May 2nd. Ridvan celebrates Baha'u'llah's announcement of his mission as a messenger of God, which would lead to the founding of the Baha'i Faith, the newest of the world's religions and one that seeks to unite all people in spiritual unity. I've long been an admirer of the Baha'i Faith having been a part of a Baha'i study group when I lived in Sheffield. So I'm so grateful and honored that some of the local community have joined us this morning in the, middle, in the midst of Erdvan. Now to understand the founding of the faith, which we heard some of the story of, we have to understand the mission of the Bab, which was to act as a John the Baptist figure now the Bab was executed in 1850 at the age of 30, but his influence would live on. Many would have expected the Bab's doctrine to be the end when he died, but as we saw last week in our Easter message, ideas whose time have come are not so easy to put down as killing a single person. As we heard this morning, a man who would later call himself Baha'u'llah converted to the Babi religion at the age of 27. His fame would help him spread the Bab's doctrine throughout his native region, and he was soon recognized as one of the most influential founders there, followers there. And during this time, he sought to bring peace to the region. After the Bab was killed, many of his followers sought revenge through violent means. But Baha'u'llah, though he tried to bring nonviolent peace, his voice was often drowned out. After a failed assassination attempt on the Shah, a persecution began of the Babis, and Baha'u'llah was imprisoned where he says he received his first mystical visions that confirmed he was the prophet of God. Now he was eventually released and was in exile near Baghdad in what was then the Ottoman Empire for many years. Now I couldn't possibly cover Baha'u'llah's entire life in one sermon, but suffice it to say that he was eventually exiled from Baghdad by the Ottomans for his involvement in the Babi community. He found himself in the Garden of Ridvan, 
in what is now modern-day Baghdad, but was then just outside the city. And it was there that he first announced to a small group of family and friends his mission and station from God, essentially marking the beginning of the Baha'i faith. Ridvan is now celebrated as one of the holiest Baha'i festivals, during which work must be suspended. Afterwards, Baha'u'llah and his caravan would depart for Constantinople, where he was continued to be exiled for many years. Now, what's always impressed me is that at a time and region when disunity reigned, Baha'u'llah dared to proclaim the unity of both religion and humanity, a message with the power and potential to transform the religious landscape and provide a blueprint for a new way of being religious. Consider that even to this day, Baha'is around the world continue to be persecuted at a rate much higher than many other religions. And you'll realize this is no small feat. The continued perseverance in declaring such a message says a lot about its power to influence and the perseverance of its followers. Baha'u'llah certainly wasn't the first to declare that all religions are united, but his message led to a creation of a new religion that has inspired millions of people around the world to live a kinder, more peaceful life. There's power in Baha'u'llah's message that religion and humanity are one. For if this is true, it doesn't mean our differences don't matter, but it does mean that those differences need not divide us in the grand scheme of things. In a world where we often flock to people who are similar to us, imagine the power if we learn that differences were ultimately more similar than different. So why am I focusing so much this morning on Baha'u'llah's call and the beginning of the Baha'i faith? Well, I believe that Baha'u'llah pursued his call against all the odds. And I want to focus this morning on the effect that Baha'u'llah's decision to pursue his calling had on the world. He could have very easily chosen to sit back and live a fairly privileged life, comfortable and enjoyable. He didn't, though. Baha'u'llah heard a call that became his holy mission, to preach to the world a message of unity, peace, and compassion. He could have been killed in the process, much like the Bab. And he was a prisoner of the Ottoman Empire until the end of his life. But he chose to follow what he knew he had to do. And countless people's lives were transformed in the process. There's power in this. When we pursue our calling, the world is transformed in the process. Granted, not all of us will reach millions as Baha'u'llah did, but each of us has the power to reach someone. 
Now for some of us, calling is what we do for a living. But it doesn't have to be. In fact, I bet Baha'u'llah didn't get much pay out of his calling. But it doesn't have to be as important as being the latest in a long line of prophets. Thank goodness, because I don't think I could live up to that standard. I dare say that some of you probably followed a, followed a calling yesterday and participated in the March of Science here in Houghton. <coughs> I want to bring one more story of calling into this this morning because I'm reminded of the story of an African-American keyboardist named Daryl Davis, an accomplished musician who worked with the likes of Chuck Berry and Little Richard. He found an unexpected calling when he accidentally befriended a member of the Ku Klux Klan while playing in a country music band. It's a calling that's led him to befriend members of the KKK at the highest level of leadership, including an imperial wizard. And Davis has led many of these people to denounce and dissociate themselves from the hate-filled lifestyle. Until recently, when Davis wrote a book and started giving interviews on experience, he received no money in return. Yet his calling made a huge difference in the lives of other people as he sought to give them information and experience that would help them overcome their hateful ways. I'm not sure Davis would say that he chose his calling to befriend members of the KKK, at least not at first. But following it has done a lot of good in the world as he seeks to make it a better place, one clan member at a time. What we can see in both Baha'u'llah's and Davis's experience is that calling is that which grabs us and won't let go. There are times in our lives when each of us will face the decision to act or take the easy route, which may result in comfort, but will have definite effects on our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. But make no mistake, we can only ignore our, our calling for so long. I'm sure Davis would have preferred not to get involved in the lives of clan members, but the universe had other plans in store for him. There is even a delay between Baha'u'llah first hearing his calling and proclaiming it. And maybe that's one of the keys to calling. No matter how much you try to run from it, deny it, or ignore it, it just keeps coming back to you. Eventually it catches up to you no matter how far you try to run from it and it demands you pay attention. I'm reminded that the Christian Gospels even record Jesus begging to have his crucifixion pass away from him. <coughs> Calling doesn't go away. If ever there was a Unitarian Universalist concept of destiny, this is it. What is grabbing 
hold onto you and not letting go in this moment? What is the sacred and the holy calling you to do in the world right now? During seminary, I was told that if I could do anything other than be a minister, I should go do that instead. <laughs> You'll find very few people in the ministry who say they dreamed since they were a kid of being a minister. More often than not, you'll find people who struggled long and hard until they just couldn't anymore. The point of this advice wasn't to dissuade me from ministry, but to point out that calling is that which we can't escape from. If there was something else I could see myself doing for the rest of my life, am I truly called to this weird profession? After all, I was told, it will eventually break your heart. And you will have to be really called to be prepared for the pain that comes with it. But it will also bring moments of joy. So maybe that's the best advice I can give about finding your calling during this time of calling the Festival of Redvang. What calls you? grabs you, won't let you go, while bringing you great joy at times and deep sorrow at others. Parents, if you recognize yourself in this statement, I definitely think parenting is a call. If you can find what that thing is that is lying in your heart's deepest yearnings you will find your calling and you will know what you are here on earth for. Because whether you believe it comes from a higher power or from meaning that you found in the universe, it is still calling you and it is not letting go. Just as Baha'u'llah let his calling take hold of him, <laughs> let us this Ridvan Consider what we are being called to do. Whatever it is, let it take hold of you and not let go. For in that moment, you will find your higher purposes. And to our Baha'i guests, I wish you a very good Ridvan as you celebrate the courage of a man who answered his calling and as a result, transformed the religious landscape. May it be so.